Hey, and welcome once again to the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the consistency bias. Um, so imagine that you are uh, selecting a jury, um, and you want to make sure that you have people on there who are going to... Uh, <clears throat> you know, stand up for your defendant or, or whoever it is you're kind of um, representing, um, you might ask, right, any one of them, uh, if it was down to you, right, and everyone else disagreed, would you still um, stick with your opinion if they thought they were guilty or not guilty? Um, and if they say yes, you want them on that jury because now they've committed to a uh, identity as someone who would stand up. And as a result, they would, in fact, be more likely to stand up. Uh, so this is an example of the consistency bias, which is basically how if we kind of commit to something, um, we stick with our old decision no matter what new information we get. Um, and it's sort of, you know, part of what's called like the foot in the door technique. And we've talked about versions of this earlier. But um, another example might be uh, there was a professor, um, this guy Robert uh, Cialdini. I might be pronouncing that wrong. It's spelled C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I, if you want to figure out your own pronunciation. Uh, he did a book called Influence about sort of different sales techniques, but he had his own class, and um, he did a thing where he said, okay, we're going to do a, a study, right? And we're going to invite students to take part in this, like, thought processes study. And he had two kind of groups. One group, he would tell them, hey, it's a study, and it starts at 7 a.m. How many people want to do it? And as you might imagine, very few people said yes, um, like maybe 24%. Then he had another group, and he said, hey, you want to take part in this thought process study? And then of those that said yes, which was like, I don't know, like 56%, he would then say, okay, those of you who said yes. Then he said, okay, by the way, it's at 7 a.m. Are we still good? Do you want to opt out? None of, almost none of them. I think none of them, actually, opted out at all, right? They had already committed to the study, so changing the game and saying, okay, by the way, it's 7 a.m., you would expect that they'd nope out, but they didn't. They were like, okay, I'm already a study person. I'm already going to this thing. I'm just going to be consistent. And that's the thing. We have this weird, you know, um, hobgoblins of consistency, right? Um, we have this weird thing where we just don't want to be inconsistent with any decision we've made in the past. Like, there's a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance. A lot of, it's very uncomfortable for us to do that. So we will get up at six in the morning to go to a study, right? If that's what it means to, um, if that means we get to keep our own sense of identity. And that's, you know, any of these biases that go to identity are going to be super um, hard to break because um, our identity, like, that's it. Like, if, we, if, if, if you threaten our identity, like, it, it's game over. So um, another, like, way to manipulate this is um, someone who does you a favor is far more likely to do you a favor in the future. And, like, there's stories about, like, Ben Franklin using this to his advantage. If he needs to, like, get someone's support, he'll ask, he'll say, hey, can I borrow a book? And then he'll write back and, and say, thanks for letting me borrow that book and find that that person going forward will totally be friendly toward them um and uh so this becomes a way to sort of like you know make friends and influence people is like if you're having trouble like if you can get them to do you a favor which is weird you'd think that it would be about you doing them a favor but that's not actually the thing it's really more if you can get them to do you a favor they will suddenly be more likely to do you a favor in the future because they've just become someone who does you a favor and in fact their opinion of you is such that, oh, if it's worth doing this person a favor, how can I think poorly of them? I did them a favor. Like, I don't do favors for bad people, right? So you see how, like, insidious it kind of is? Um, but that's that, that's how that works. Um, so that guy, Robert Caldino, was talking about before, um, he had a quote uh, from an article that I'll link to in the show notes. I got a lot of this particular episode from that article, so I'll call it out. Um, 
but uh, the quote was, it scares me enough that I am rarely willing to sign a petition anymore, even for a position I support. Such an action has the potential to influence not only my future behavior, but also my self-image in ways I may not want. So he, like, became very suspicious, like, once he kind of uncovered this, of, like, basically saying yes to anything, <laughs> even a little thing. Because that's the thing, that the little thing you say yes to affects your identity. And you will say yes to bigger and bigger things um, that have to do with uh, that original thing because it, it, it now has to do with your identity. It's now a part of your identity. And I think it's part of the reason also we kind of hate flip-floppers. So when, once um, the uh, Bush campaign was able to paint John Kerry as a flip-flopper, right? Like that was the end, right? Like the, the whole... Um, that, that 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 piece is something that's very hard to recover from. Um, and there's a bunch of biases we've talked about on this show that this kind of ties into. So there's the sunk cost fallacy where, like, you'll double down on a bad idea just because it was your idea. Um, there's post-purchase rationalization, which is a similar flavor of this, where it's like you bought a thing and you kind of know it was a dumb thing to buy, but you'll defend that decision because it was your decision. Um, and it'll be very, I'm very curious to see in the upcoming election if people who aren't super happy with Trump still vote for him anyway, because it's really hard for us to admit when we're wrong or to change or to admit that we will, are willing to change our minds. Because again, it's not consistent. We like consistency. Um, and then there's also a rational escalation is another kind of um, version of this. And like, take a look at the Vietnam War, for example, of this, where even after it became clear, it was useless to keep dumping money and uh, soldiers and lives into that thing. People kept going anyway because we had already done so much. Um, so in terms of like defense against the dark arts with this one, um, if it's all about how uh, being consistent is part of your identity, right? Like I am the type of person who is consistent. If it's possible to see yourself as someone who will change their mind based on new information, then you kind of like do an end run around the consistency bias because if you do get new information and you change your mind, you're still being consistent because, hey, I'm the type of person who changes their mind when they get new information, which, by the way, is kind of a good person to be, right? Like, it's part of the scientific method, right? As we get new information, it's a good idea to be able to be willing to adjust your point of view so that you survive and, like, don't do the thing that, you know, gets people killed or gets yourself killed or leads to bad outcomes just because you want to be consistent, right? Um, so if there's a way to do that, that's kind of a way to, to uh, deal with it. Um, Caldini talks about how when he's confronted with situations where um, he knows someone's going to ask him to do something like a sales technique thing where someone's going to ask him to buy something that he doesn't really want to buy, but they've already got him to buy into some idea where it would be inconsistent for him to not then buy the stupid deal. He kind of tries to like flip that on its head and be like, well, um, it would be... I know I've said already that I agree with this idea, but it would be foolish for me to write. It would be absurd for me to be foolishly consistent about it, right? So I'm going to change my mind now, right? And that kind of gives him an out. Um, another sort of trick he talks about is sort of saying, um, like, or and this, is, this comes from the article I was um, recording before, but uh, knowing what I know now, if I could go back in time, would I make the same commitment, right? And if you can sort of ask that in the moment, like future cast, like, does future Dave really want to do this? Right? Is being consistent a good enough reason to like buy this, you know, uh, used car at a rate that's way too, you know, high just because I agreed to some smaller thing earlier in the conversation? No, I would prefer not to do that. Okay, that's a good enough reason to say, okay, maybe I'm being foolishly consistent. 
Um, so the consistency bias kind of has a couple different variations. So there's the one where it's about like being foolishly consistent. There's another where you will retrofit your memories to make it seem like you're consistent. So there was a 2002 study called Distortion and Memory for Emotions, the Contributions of Personality and Post-Event Knowledge by Martin A. Safer, Linda J. Levine, and Amy L. Drapalski. And I'll link to it in the, the show notes. But, um, but they basically took a bunch of people who um, were getting ready for an exam, and they asked them how nervous they felt about the exam, and people you know, gave their answer. And then after the exam, they asked people, like, how nervous did you th- did, do you remember being going into this exam, right? And the people who did well on the exam rated themselves as remembering being less anxious about the exam than they actually were, right, according to their original testimony. So they would say their anxiety was at like a 10 before the exam if they did well and they were asked, hey, how well do you remember, you know, uh, how, how, how anxious were you about this? They'd say, oh, it was like a five, right? Um, like just as an example, I don't know what actual numbers they used, but but basically they, they, they remembered it differently based on the outcome, right? Um, and we've seen like versions of this before, right? But that's that's the idea is that like you um, you will take your current feeling and apply it to your past self again because you have this illusion that you are a consistent human being and that you stay the same throughout time. When in fact you don't really, right? That's not how humans work, right? We do change our minds. Even when we do change our minds, we we retrofit so that that never happened, and that gets into kind of the memory bias part of this. Um, so all sorts of ways that we don't necessarily can are able to trust our memory and also all sorts of ways we have to think about like, is it really worth it to stay consistent in this situation? Right. Just so I can say that I was consistent later. In fact, knowing that you're probably going to retrofit your memories anyway, you might as well change your mind for the better outcome. Um, so, uh, that is all for this week. Um, by the way, I'm going to be uh, taking part in the uh, Philly Podfest, uh, Philly Podcast Festival. Uh, so on July 20th at Indie Hall at 7 p.m., if you're in Philly, um, go down there and check that out. I'll be um, doing a live version of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. Uh, more details about uh, what that's going to be like as we get closer, but uh, try to make it there. I'd love to see you uh, at the event. Uh, so that is all for uh, this week. Uh, This is the uh, Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and we will see you next time.